0: cornerstone takes on topics that may not be politically correct this for any church could be a risky proposition but this has not deterred the cornerstone they believe that God does his best work on the other side of risk addressing subjects like sex and marriage premarital sex pornography finances you name it if the Bible speaks of it so will cornerstone hey good morning uh, you've already heard, uh, we're celebrating this month 15 uh, years of being Cornerstone, and you guys get it, there was, there was no idea uh, when we started uh, 15 years ago that it would be uh, anything uh, like this. Uh, our beginnings were actually pretty humble. Uh, we started in a little elementary school. Uh, you would take the tables that they used during the week in the cafeteria, and the top would flip down to the side and make kind of a back, kind of pew type thing. And then you'd uh, meet in the cafetorium, and the odor in the room was kind of a pew-type thing. Um, and I can't even tell you, services were our silk trees fell over in the middle of the service, and the gal doing the overheads forgot to take one. You know, it was, it was bad, and just no idea uh, that it would end up here and this going on. And, So I just think it's appropriate as we do 15 years and we kind of look and go, so why is it, what has God used and how have we gotten where we've gotten and what is it that God has been so pleased with in this place to do what he's done with us and so just to spend the next few weeks unpacking the values of Cornerstone that have been part of what make this place the place that you and I love to come to church and so different in our lives, so many of us walk in here and just go, this is not what I ever thought church was going to be, and I, I think I'm pleasantly surprised, and I love this church, I love being part of it, but you realize that it's not just an accident that you and I got here, that actually some things that we have held true, some values that have steered the course are part of what have gotten us here and one of the reasons it's so critical for you and i to have this conversation is that over the last couple years so many of us are new now you realize this church has more than doubled in the last uh, three three and a half years and so many of us haven't been part of the journey weren't there in some of the initial decisions so just to go back unpack talk about what is it uh, what are those things which make this place unique and probably if you were going to ask me, I would put at the very top of the list the idea of risk. You and I are part of a church that has constantly been willing to do things that are risky for God. And you get that's out of the box for most churches. Most churches, let's just be honest, most Christians are risk adverse. We, we will do almost anything we possibly can not to have to be risky. Matter of fact, how many have ever heard, hey, the safest place in the world is the center of God's will. How many of you have heard that? It's a lie, it's a lie, it's just not true. Matter of fact, if you go through scripture over and over and over and over again, uh, the greatest stories in scripture, think about it, what we tell our kids at bedtime, what they're over there learning in their classes today are stories filled with risk. Think about Daniel in the lion's den. What, What if it was Daniel and the mouse's den? It kind of loses something in the moment. The reality is, is that the best stories of God are stories in which involve high levels of risk. And if God doesn't show up, if God doesn't win the day, then the story ends in disaster. And the wonder of the moment is that despite the odds, despite the fact that it was completely illogical to do, the people of God chose to trust God instead of their circumstances. The story of God. Ready for this? The story of God is a story of risk. The story of Cornerstone is a story of risk. Matter of fact, by all human terms, by all reasonable logic, this church should not be here. There is nothing about having coming and planting this church 15 years ago that made any human sense. I had been youth pastoring for... Uh, 17 years. I'd gotten to that moment within, if you want to call it a career path, that the churches, the churches you always hoped would call, were calling and asking, "Would you come here and be our youth pastor?" If, you, if you're thinking about it logically, I mean, that's this is what you've waited for, and yet in the midst of having interviews with those churches, God was taking it to my heart and saying, "Lynn, I, I want you to do something different." I I think I'm going to send you back to Phoenix, to Chandler, to plant a church. Now, guys, this was dumb. Uh, At that time, I was serving in California in a church. The economy in California had gone south. Sound familiar? Uh, The economy in Arizona at the time was booming. So the house that I was getting ready to sell, the house that Brent and Sonia Richardson, who came with us, were getting ready to sell, and and then the third couple, um, Steve and Sharon John, none of our houses were worth near what they had been worth just six months before. I remember arguing with my realtor and saying, that cannot be the offer. And she says, it is what it is. Brent and Sonia Richardson, when they sold their house in California to move, had to literally pay people to take their house off their hands. Guys, this, this, this thing made no human sense. It was a lousy career path. It didn't make financial sense. We had to go out and after years and years of successful ministry, raise money like missionaries. I had to go to friends and to relatives and say, look, we're going to do this crazy thing. We're going to start a church and 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 we're going to ask you to give us money every month because the church won't pay us. And, and, and hopefully within three years, we'll be able to afford our own salary. And people looked at us and said, that's dumb. That's dumb. Our original salaries. You ready for this? Now, I know it was 15 years ago, so dinosaurs walked the earth. I get it. I, you know what our original salaries were? $24,000 a year, No benefits. I was 35 years old and had to move back in with my mother. (laughs) The original cornerstone office was my mother's sewing room. Guys, this place was birthed out of risk. Because if it went south, if it didn't, if nothing, we were all looking for jobs again. And we had a big black spot on the resume. But you and I sit in a room. We sit in a church that has always said, here's what we believe. We believe that God does his very, very best work on the other side of risk. And you just need to know that if you're new to Cornerstone, if you haven't been here through a lot of the risk-taking adventure that has been this place, you're going to be invited to join the risk. And and if at the end of the day your heart can't get around it, you just go, look, that's just not me, and I won't, you may be in the wrong room. Because this is a place that says we believe that God will constantly invite you and me to risk great things with him. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles, we're gonna unpack one of those stories we talked about, one of those Bible stories that you and I probably all know like the back of our hand that is filled with risk. And this time we're gonna look at it through maybe just a little bit different lens. It's the story of David and Goliath. I know, I know, we know it. But here's what I want us to come to. Here's what I want us to ask as we unpack this story. Why? What causes a 14-year-old young man to understand what nobody else understands in that moment? What causes this teenager to do what all the men around him are terrified to do? What is different about, you ready, this risk-taking teenager than all the other people of God who are standing on that hill beside him? Because when you and I answer that question, we'll answer what's different about Cornerstone. And you and I will invite ourselves to either be like David or to be like those who did not go to meet Goliath. Here we go. It's 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you're not familiar with Scripture today, if you just simply go to the front of your Bible and work a little bit to the right, uh, you will find 1 Samuel. If you get to 2 Samuel, you've gone too far. If you get to 3 Samuel, you've got the wrong Bible. <laughs> 1 Samuel chapter 15. Here's how the story begins. Now, the Philistines gathered their forces for war, and they assembled in Soco in Judah. They pitched camp in Ephes Damum between Soco and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled camp in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites the other with the valley between. Now, here's what you got to get in the moment you get that Israel didn't go to war. The war came to them. They're minding their own business. They're they're going through their day just like they've gone through every other day, and suddenly the Philistines show up. You can just imagine, some of the guys are sitting there going, are you kidding me? it's, It's time for the annual herd birth rate report. I don't have time for this. Some of the women are going... This is, this is my camel-pooling week for taking kids to school. This is really inconvenient. And guys, you're, you just need to know, risk will always show up. The, the, the next Goliath in your life will always come at the least convenient moment. You and know, I don't get to choose it. We don't get to time it. It's just going to come. God's going to bring it in a moment that brings him the most glory, brings him the most acclaim, that makes it most obvious to the people around us that he is the only one that can deliver us, and that usually means it is deeply, deeply, highly, highly inconvenient in our lives. You guys know the story. After the Philistines get there, the, every day the Israelites are on this side of the hill and the Philistines are on that side of the hill, and in the morning they wake up and... and uh, they hurl insults. You know, your mother's got hairy legs and uh, all of that back and forth. And, and then after they get each other lathered up and mad enough, they all run down in the middle and they start fighting. Scripture tells us that in the midst of the fighting, uh, a giant comes walking out. You, you can just imagine the guy standing there going, is that a tree over there? Walking? That's just one big dude. And, and, and Scripture says that... that, that each day, the Israelites would run back up their side of the hill, and then uh, Goliath would stand in the middle and, and speak obscenities, say unbelievable things about Israel and about the God of Israel, and basically call him out, and he'd say simply this, look, if, if you'll send a champion down to beat me, this can all be done. We could call this even. The problem is, if you're one of the guys in Israel looking down and seeing Goliath, you're going, Fred, your turn. (laughs) I cooked dinner, you go fight Goliath. No No one's anxious about taking the risk. Nobody's interested in going there. And the reality is, in the moment, stop and think about this. There's an easy way out of the moment, and guys whenever risk comes there's an easy way out there always is there's a way that makes sense there's a way that's going to seem logical sometimes the most logical thing just seems like do nothing which is what israel's done now for 40 days they've done nothing but you really the other thing they can do is they could concede they could say look you know let's it's pretty obvious how this is going to turn out it's pretty what are your terms well, what do you want? Higher taxes? Okay, we'll we'll become a Philistine province. Okay, we gotta worship your gods. What are your terms? Well, guys, this is this is important for you and I to get because in every story of God and in every moment in which He brings you and me to risk, there will be an easy way out. All Daniel had to do was bow down to the graven image. He could have said, well, this isn't even fair. Why did God even put me in this position? If God was really God, I wouldn't be facing risk. And what you and I have got to get in the moment is that in the moment of risk, the easy way is almost never the right way. This church, and some of you don't know this because you're new and you haven't had the chance to be on this adventure with us, but over and over and over and over, we have done together the scary thing. We've done the risky thing. we faced Goliath time and time and time again. How many many of you were here in 2004? Okay, 2004. If you were here in 2004, will you stand up? Just stand up. All right, okay, so you you get the gist. All right, so go ahead and sit down. Here's what you need to know about those people just stood up. They are risk takers. Matter of fact, the truth is the very chairs you sit in today are chairs of risk. Because in 2004, we were a church of 1,400, and we were filling up that little building over there on the side, and we said, look, we better build a bigger auditorium, but a bigger auditorium is 12 million dollars. And there's only 1,400 of us, and you you do the math. That means if we build this building, the building that you're sitting in today, and if nobody comes, then every last family in our church is indebted to the tune of $36,000. And guess what the families of Cornerstone said? We can't afford not to have a place for people to come to hear the story of Jesus and grow up, build the building You sit in chairs of risk every single Sunday. It's our heritage. You ever wonder why we do a series like Bringing Sexy Back or MyLameSexLife.com? You realize every time we do that, we get posted on blogs, we have Christians that write all sorts of articles. All you have to do is Google the internet. Take a few phone calls. "Why, Why do we do that? Because we know on the other side of that risk there are thousands and thousands of people in our community who are struggling in this area of their life have no idea that god has answers and you and i have been willing to live with the criticism and you and i have been willing to take that head on and smile when when, when other people have said you can't talk about that at church and you and I have watched thousands upon thousands of lives be changed because we were a place of risk. Hey, why do we do friend days? Why do we do that? You realize friend days are expensive, right? You realize our friends on friend Day don't come for free. Why does this church do that? You realize we've, been, we've gotten criticized. too. You, really, you get that, right? Because every single friend day, you and I see hundreds of people make decisions for Christ. And at the end of the day, we have said, it's worth the risk. Guys, you're in a room of risk. You're in a room that believes from the top of its head to the tip of its toes that God does his best work when his people have the courage to take the field against Goliath that God's best happens on the other side of risk. Some of you that know the story know kind of what happens next. Uh, David's not even at the battle. Uh, David is the youngest of eight brothers. He's probably at the time a teenager, as best we can give accounts. And he actually has the worst job in the family. He is the sheep tender. That's what you gave to the women and to the children to do within the culture. And that's what he's doing. And yet his father comes to him and says, look, your three oldest brothers are at war. We haven't heard boo from them. David, would you go? Would you go check on uh, your brothers and just uh, see what's going on? David gets there. And David gets there at just the right time to see the armies of Israel run down the hill again, do a little, little fight thing, and then see Goliath come and now run like little girls back to their side of the hill. Goliath positions himself in the middle of the valley, begins to say horrible things about God, begins to demean the God of Israel. And young David says, am I the only guy who hears this? It, how are we all standing by and letting this happen? How's that, how is that possible? And the basic attitude of the moment is no, 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 guy, no, David. We get that it's wrong. It's just who wants to tackle that? That's scary out of everybody's mind. That's craziness. Matter of fact, grab your Bibles again and look with me at this conversation, this moment uh, that happens as David gets to the battlefield. It's verse 26. David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan Philistine anyways that he's allowed to defy the armies of the living God? He always he's saying, isn't it wrong that we're doing nothing? <laughs> Someone's got to do something right. Look at verse 20. look at the reaction, the guys around him give actually his own brother, verse 28. When Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him, and he said, "Why have you come down here? And why, and with whom have you, uh, did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know, ready for this. I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Isn't that interesting? David, David, David's probably the guy with the best heart in the whole room. David's, David's the guy who just simply says, this, the, we can't, this can't keep happening. It's wrong. And his own brother, his own brother is offering criticism. If you embrace risk, if you and I as cornerstone are going to be a church that says, no, 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 look, we're going to do what others won't do so that God can show up in ways that others won't see God show up, we'll be criticized. If we're not careful, we might even criticize ourselves. It may be our own older brother saying, you can't do that. Come on. That's dumb. You and, I, you and I sit in a moment hmm, where there's a couple Goliaths on our field, and, and you and I have got to catch the moment and realize that even if we're misunderstood, even if nobody else understands, even if, even, if, even if some of our own friends sitting in the room with us right now don't get it, there are some Goliaths that you and I as Cornerstone better be willing to risk taking the field with because not doing anything would be wrong. I don't know how aware you guys are, but with all the budget stuff going on and we all get what's happening with the economy and offerings have been down, uh, you realize we, we shut down our singles department. We're a church that 30, to almost 40% of our church is single, and here are people going through what may be some of the toughest moments of life alone. And only because a few of our faithful singles have gone off and held together a small Bible study is there a place for a single to go at Cornerstone. I'm pretty sure if you and I leave it that way, I'm I'm pretty sure if we just do nothing, that would be wrong. Again, because of budget, you know, two years ago, we, our guy that was point on maturity, uh, George Bedlion retired. You realize we've never rehired that position? That right now within our church, there is no champion, there is no person who's pushing three to be, who's making that happen, who's going to the classes and getting the curriculum in and... And guys, the honest truth, let's just be honest. We're not going far enough fast enough in maturity in this place. And if we don't slay that giant, that'd be wrong, wouldn't it? You and I have got a student ministries over there right now that's two positions down. Two positions down. And based on our current giving and our offerings right now, I don't know how we hire the positions back and our high school kids are aching, and our fifth and sixth grade kids are aching, and you and I leave that giant on the field, that'd be wrong. And and the reality, what we need need right now, (laughs) Is, is we need some Davids to take the field. We, we need some people who say, no, no, I get it. I get that being part of this room and being part of this place, and I may be new, and maybe I've come in the last three, four, five years, and so I haven't watched the sacrifice, and I haven't watched the courage. But I get it. I get that this is a place born of risk, and they're going to ask me to be uncomfortable and to go further. They're going to they're ask me to take the field. Because to do nothing is wrong. See, so here's, here's what you and I have got to be convinced of that as scary as it is for you and I to tackle our giants, as scary as it is for us to do what we need to do next, doing nothing is scarier. Doing nothing will fail. How many many of you guys uh, have seen Braveheart? You realize Braveheart is a deeply theological movie. That everything you need to know about God is somewhere in Braveheart, if you just look far enough. There's a great moment in the movie. I know you guys have seen it, I know you guys remember it. Uh, William Wallace, uh, the armies of Scotland have come out to fight the English. And when they get there, there's more of the English than they thought there was gonna be there. And the immediate response of everybody is, let's just go home, you know? (laughs) That would be the easy thing, let's go home. And William Wallace uh, begins to address the troops and say, guys, guys, you ready? Doing nothing is expensive. Matter of fact, I grab the clip. You'll recognize the clip. I want us to watch the clip, okay, and remind our hearts a little bit. So here this is, Braveheart, Mel Gibson, William Wallace, addressing the troops. Nothing, doing nothing is expensive.
1: I am William Wallace. And I see a whole army of my countrymen here in defiance of tyranny. You've come to fight as free men. And free men you are. What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? That they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom!
0: Okay, so I'm a guy, so I like that. And can I tell you the part that I love about the conversation? You get that William Waltz at the end of the day is just simply saying, guys, sometimes there's things in life that are more important than even living. And there are certain risks that you have to take because not taking them is too expensive. And if you miss this day, if you miss this moment, if you push pause, there'll be the day lying on your deathbed, you would trade every day from then until now to come back and live this moment better. I was out visiting churches a little while back and I visited a church here in the Phoenix area and I'm not gonna tell you the name because you'd know the church. And back in the 80s and the 90s this place was the I mean it was going for God. I mean their reputation throughout the valley was that's where God shows up and their buildings were full and they were they were changing their community for Christ. And then came a moment. And the way they were doing services didn't fit anymore. Times were changing. And, and the idea of, of maybe not singing hymns anymore looked really, really, really scary. The idea of letting the devil's drums into the church. Oh boy, yeah, yeah. And, and, and maybe they were going to have to change how they delivered their sermons, not change the word of God, but just change kind of the delivery of their message. And in that moment, they said you, you get that you get that some of our own people won't even understand this. We, we've got people who've been longtime supporters, and and they may be our biggest givers in the church. And we stop singing hymns, they'll leave, and so will their money. We, we let those demon drums come in the room. Boy, the old people are all gonna, you know. I sat in their service a little while back. It was like a time machine. It felt like nineteen eighty four. And I sat in an auditorium that was about the size of this auditorium, seated about 1,400 people. Guess how many people were in the room? 300 adults. And the young ones were 70. You get the moment, don't you? There came the moment they needed to take a risk, they needed to do that next thing, and it was terrifying. And I sat in that room and I wondered. I wondered as they sat there, because come on, anyone could see it. And surely those 300 people sitting in the room and looking at an ocean of empty chairs and remembering who they'd been and remembering what it had been like back when God showed up. I wonder how many of them would have traded every day from then till now to go back and this time make the right decision and risk everything for God. See, here's what you and I got to get. Not, not taking the field, not going out and meeting our Goliaths. Guys, that's scarier. That is scarier than any Goliath will ever face as a church. You guys know the story. You know that a little teenager uh, goes to the king. And says, "I'll do this." In absolute desperation, they say, "Well, I mean, what could be worse?" You know, and they send him out. Remember, Saul tries to put his armor on him. And poor David can't even hold the armor up. And so, so now this little boy, this young, 14, 15-year-old, still growing, still facing puberty, young man, walks on the field, no armor on, no sword, no shield. A slingshot, which in all intents and purposes was a kid's toy, to face Goliath. And here we pick up the story. It's First Samuel chapter 17, starting in verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over, and he saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome. And he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you've come out to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by the gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, You've come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you. you ready for this? In the name of the Lord Almighty, I, I get it doesn't make sense. I get that this is crazy. But not facing you terrifies me more. So I come today with God to do what everybody else thinks is impossible, what everybody else says is dumb, to take a risk because my God invited me to risk. The God of the armies of Israel whom you've defied this day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give you the, carcass of the, Philist- give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. The whole world will know. You ready for this? The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel because a 14-year-old boy took a risk. All those gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear that the Lord saves For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all into our hands. And as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. And reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and he drew it from the scabbard. And after he killed him, he cut off the head, cut off his head with the sword. And when the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. God's greatest moments happen when God's people risk when Davids take the battlefield. And I'm just going to tell you the moment that we're in right now is Cornerstone, and it's new for some of us. Guys, we need some Davids. And, and I get it, you may be new, and you, you say, Lynn, I, I'm here since the last time we took a really big, scary risk. I get it, I get it. It's part of what's made this place the place we love. And we need some Davids. Let me, let me ask you this question. Let me just ask it a lot. We love to tell our kids the stories of the great people of the Bible. F- lives full of risk. Will your kids ever be able to tell your story? Will your kids ever be able to say, let me tell you about when my mom and dad followed God recklessly. When when it just didn't make sense, and I'm just telling you the economy was bad and... and, and it, <laughs> And they just, they just said, someone's got to do something. And let me tell you what our family did to slay Goliath. Do you have a family story of risking? So some of you guys have heard me tell this before. I'm going to tell it again because it, it, it is the moment. Joshua's about eight years old, nine years old, and we've recently come here to plant the church. And he's doing good in school, and he's made friends. And so I'm really excited as his dad because he's making the transition well. And we're driving. We're driving down Price. And uh, my little boy uh, turns to me and he says, Dad, I hate living in Chandler, Arizona. I said, Josh, what are you you talking about? You're you're doing so good in school, and you've got all these great friends in our neighborhood and at school, too, and what what do you mean? Here's what my little boy said to me. It's not like terrorists are ever going to attack Chandler. I said, well, no. And then I realized what my son was saying. If I live in Chandler, Arizona the rest of my life, I may never get to be a hero. I, I may never get to do anything great. Boy, that we would have some Joshuas in the room today. That we would have some people say, no, 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 I do live in Chandler, Arizona, and I'm part of an amazing and great church that takes risk, and I do have a chance. I have a chance to do something remarkable for God if, if I'll risk. It's what's made us who we are. <laughs> it's what will make us who we need to be. Let's bow our heads. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, we simply come before you, and we're just going to be honest. We've, we've lived most of our lives looking for comfort. Matter of fact, we thought being a Christian meant that you were going to help us make our lives comfortable. And we were wrong. That, that following you is not safe. It's, it's full of adventure, and it's full of risk, and it's full of moments that fail if you don't show up. And over and over again, as you write your story in our, our lives, you invite us to face Goliath. You invite us to do what others won't understand and maybe even our friends would criticize, and yet those are your best moments in our lives and in our church. And God, I'm just gonna ask you today, would you do whatever is necessary to constantly keep Cornerstone, a church of risk, a church that says, if God if God brings a giant to the battlefield... We'll go meet him. We'll face him. Because our our best moments with God are when we face the Goliaths. God, I just want to pray right now. I want to pray for a singles ministry that is struggling. I want to pray for high school kids and 5th and 6th grade kids who need leaders. And we're not sure how to pay for it. I want to pray for maturity here in our church. And God, there's nobody at point. It's we haven't we haven't filled that position in two years. And God, I'm just going to ask for David's. I'm going to ask for people whose hearts are filled with boldness and simply say, it's my turn. My turn to take the field. I get that's who we are. I get that's what we do here. And it's how the glory of God shows up. David. And I ask you this in Jesus' precious name.